Blog Talk Radio. Introducing in the red corner, American Tennis! And introducing in the blue corner, your host for American Tennis, Mr. Chuck Creasy! Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. to American Tennis, now in our fifth year of broadcast. Now, on American Tennis, we cover everything and anything, and we try to always remind you to stand up, speak out, say those things that need to be said. And I have reminded so many parents this weekend as I passed out a flyer about protecting traditional tennis. I said, look, uh, several parents ask, okay, what do you want me to do with this? I agree with you. By the way, USTA, every parent that I talk to, over 50, over 50 different parents that I talked to and passed out handouts this weekend, only one was questioning whether or not my child uh, is going to play too much tennis here. Every parent, 49 out of 50, every one, said, we hate this no-ad scoring stuff. We absolutely hate it. We want our children to play full matches. We want our children to be challenged. Tennis is becoming an after-school activity. It's really not a sport anymore. So every one of them asked me, well, what can I do, Coach? And I said this. I said, look, a squeaky wheel gets the oil, but if it squeaks too loud, it gets removed. You address issues not people, stay professional, and no one can find fault. I remind everyone of that every week. Address issues, not people. We take things personally, I think, when we get so emotionally involved with our sport or our teaching, and we start to get personal with it. It's not personal. It's not about personalities. It's about doing the right thing. We need to fight out there, though, folks. As I'm passing out about traditional tennis and all of the very wonderful things about traditional tennis, and nobody sees underneath the surface. And uh, if you've listened to uh, our show enough, you know that I've got about 25 different reasons why. As I've studied the game for 47 years, 47 years, and a lot of people have been in the game a long time, but... uh, Folks, I write down everything, I I take notes, and I think about this stuff night and day. And as I'm coached 42 years in college, I really realize what this sport is absolutely the most fantastic sport, most fantastic sport for teaching your youngsters, our youngsters, the kids in America, everything and anything they need about life, but they need to be challenged in order to do it. And um, as I talked to parents, though, they said, what can I do? What can I do? I said, we need to do something. Stand up, speak out. Don't just sort of fall in line. What's terrifying to me is how this is a planned package that the USTA and the ITA has to be in on it with them. 
and they're planning it out. Even with the ITF, I think now they're trying to abbreviate scoring. And the, it's either the marketeers that are putting pressure on uh, because the, the marketeers, in other words, hey, we're not selling enough product. We need to keep the sport vibrant. We're not selling enough things. And they only go by the numbers. And maybe there is some fall off. But USTA, you guys, your first job in the ITA should be to protect, protect the integrity and the precious heirlooms of our game, protect the integrity and the history of our game. It's shameful to not do it. I'm not calling you shameful. I'm saying the act of marketeering instead of protecting our game, you should, that's shameful, it, it, without, without a doubt. And that's our job. But it's, it, it got me uh, really thinking a lot this weekend about making this point right out of the blocks that stand up, speak out, speak about issues. Do not have to talk about people. Nobody can find fault with that. And we need to have this debate. Have we ever had this debate, parents? Have we ever had it? No. It was just jammed down your throat. And we all assume that we have learned people there in the USTA that are, wow, there are these research people behind the scenes and who really know what they're talking about. Not so. Not so. We have people that have different interests. I'm not saying anybody's a bad person, but, but daggone it, there is a vested interest in protecting the pocketbook and to try to, uh, and if we've got people that run off with some ideas that have some power. But anyhow, stand up, speak out, address issues, not people. And I wanted to uh, go to a different topic this morning and uh, talk about some things. Uh, first of all, every week you can get, I wanted to remind you, you can get your programs. Uh, my website is chuckcreasy.net, K-R-I-E-S-E.net. And uh, also this is the Yellow Ball Network, uh, formerly the UR Tennis Network. And you can get all the programs by going to my website, but you also can go to Blog Talk Radio and punch it up in the Yellow Ball Network. But thanks for listening. The program today, even though I uh, get so, it's fresh in my mind, fresh in my heart about what we're, we, we've been doing to uh, our tennis. And I don't care, no, no matter how they package it, look, we've got four semifinalists at the U.S. Open. Well, you know what? It's about time. We have more money, more opportunities, more talent, more teaching, more everything. And it's been nearly 20 years since we've had a showing, by the way, like we should have. And we're waiting in the men's side. We're waiting. We should have good showings. That's what the United States of America do. We win. And we're supposed to win. And with all the resources we have, it's – it's. Uh, Awful if we don't win. But um, they're packaging and now like they've been good, good going. Let's give them a give them a hand for some pretty good work there. But uh, boy, these guys who are pushing this abbreviated scoring systems and everything, you guys should be ashamed of yourself. And you know the head R, the ROG thing, the red, orange, and green. Hey, where, where's the ROG? Now they're calling it the net. Generation, do you see? It's just a repackaging of some old stuff. We got to repackage it. The net generation, and with the repackaging, they hope that it will gain roots and grow and spread. And as we all know, the red, orange, and green is pretty much a bomb and a bust. Red, red balls don't work. They don't use those anymore. And the green ball, at the state of South Carolina, folks had a total of 40 kids sign up last year. Well, you ought to have 40 at the local club. But for the whole state, I don't think that's working. All the money, where is the accountability for all the money that that has been pushed into those programs? So it's uh, we need to have these discussions, and you guys need to be called out, and let's get together and talk these things out. I need to get... Some of you, uh, you USTA folks listening to this, let's get you on a program and talk through this. But just what the heck are you thinking here? This net generation. And good, let's promote tennis, but not at the expense 
of diluting it, polluting it, and prostituting it. We're going to talk today, though, about teaching your own player about to be, how to be number one in the world of being themselves, where the real strength comes and how to be a champion by just being who you are. We'll be right back in a second with the program. This is Coach J.P. Weber of the We Coach Tennis Radio Show. In my 30 years' experience in coaching tennis, I've never seen a better tennis training situation for children than Coach Creasy's total tennis training camps. Chuck Creasy has coached them and trained them in every arena from juniors to collegiate to professional tennis, and over 15,000 children have improved their games at his summer tennis camps. Find out more at ChuckCreasy.net. That's ChuckCreasy.net. Folks, this is Coach Chuck Creasy, and go to ChuckCreasy.net. We've got a brand-new website that's coming up, and that'll keep you up with not just the camps, but the businesses that I'm trying to create with, with tennis and what to do and, and how to do it, my blogs, my radio shows, my camps. And, folks, I'm trying to get the word out there that you can be number one in the world at being yourself if you will take charge and do the work. Go to ChuckCreasy.net. to try to use what we have. 
And I ask youngsters, our parents, to rate themselves on a scale of 1 to 10. And they give themselves, let's say, a 7. And then opportunity, what are your opportunities your parents, coaches, teachers give you? Well, maybe a 7, maybe an 8. In the United States of America, everybody has at least a 7. I think if we're talking about some third world countries or something, uh, some people don't have but a three or a four, but in the United States of America, almost everybody, if you scrap it out, even at your local park, you've got a seven. Eights and nines are plentiful. So let's say you have a seven as ability, opportunities, you have an eight. The X factor always is the desire of your heart. How much desire does your youngster have inside of them? And the critical thing is uh, if the ability plus the opportunity, let's say 8 and 7 is 15. If when you add the desire part, it adds up to 23, 24, 25, you are in the ballpark. 23, you're in the ballpark. 24, you got you have a very good chance. 25, or better, you're going to the moon if you have all three of those components. Now, you can imagine if you have ability and desire that equal 15, and then the child's lazy, and they only put out a six or a five. No chance, no how, no way. And there, it cannot happen. So I've always said that this is the equation I use. But then when I talk to parents, parents just almost always want the, the not, I don't want to say the quick fix, but they want the magic. They want the magic bullet. They want the system. They want the pathway. A lot of the reason I believe the USTA has used this, this jargon, the pathway, is because I think people want a way, the pathway. Everybody wants that secret recipe to make uh, grandma's best stew. Well, you know what? Grandma's best stew was made individually and every grandma in the neighborhood had their own way of making stew. All right, the South, it's funny about the barbecue cook-offs. Everybody's got their favorite way of making their barbecue or their stew or their cakes or their pies. And when you work with young people, you have got to give them the freedom to do it their way but within the structure. In other words, let them do it their way, but Still, you're probably making that cake. You've got to have some eggs and you've got to have some flour. You've got to have some cornmeal or you've got to have whatever it takes. You've got to have the ingredients. So the coach's job is to work on giving the student the ingredients and then you've got to tell them, make it your way. Cook up your stew. Cook up your cake. And you've got to promote this because otherwise what you do is even if a child could be tremendously successful. Let's say they follow the cookie-cutter pathway, and I always am saying that mockingly, but I hate that terminology, the pathway. It's the, it should be the expressway, the freeway. But even if your child has the cookie-cutter pathway to be just like Roger Federer or Serena or whoever is, is out there, the best they could ever be is an imitation of that. They've got to create and not be cookie cutter. So why do I do this? Well, first of all, that, that what I've just explained in the strength of it is to be unique. And uh, golly, uh, Mike, uh, Coach, uh, Coach Mike up at Appalachian State, listen, his, he listens to the program some and and the point about he always brings up is that where would we be without Skip Fosbury? Where would we be, folks, without Borg's unique way of playing tennis? Where would we be without the different unique styles? There is every kid in the world has uh, seen a player and said, boy, I'd like to play something like them, and they look at the unique styles. This is what makes our game exciting. So I think we do a little bit too much paralysis by analysis uh, when we're trying to teach kids the pathway. It should be the expressway, the freeway. But the other reason why I talk about being number one in the world and being yourself is that it gives 
the youngster hope. And, and what I mean is that if they are, out of ten kids, if they're the ninth or tenth best player, and you tell them you've got to do this pathway, there's no hope. They, they know they're done before they start, and guess what? Without ownership, they're not going to be inspired. You must have ownership of your own work. You must have ownership of your own game. You must have ownership. This is what is just really upsetting me, that the USTA right now with the USPTA is trying so hard to put their print on everything that's going on. They want their pathway, and they're trying to preach to coaches now how to coach. And they're trying to preach to coaches, you got to do it this way. And guess what? I don't, I've been motivated my whole life, folks. I've been, I'm, I'm, I uh, get up in the morning and I'm excited to go to work. But the minute I have to do someone else's pathway, I'm going to, <laughs> it, it's not except that that doesn't light my fire, if you know what I mean. And it shouldn't light your fire. So if you're a parent out there, don't copy anybody. Be number one in the world at being a tennis parent. Be number one in the world at being yourself is what I mean. Be number one in the world at bringing your children up the way you believe is the best way. I don't care what old Dr. Spock used to say or whoever those paralysis by analysis people are. And uh, But the thing is, you be number one in the world at the way you do it. And uh, we get a little bit too smart for our britches. But giving youngsters hope is the most important thing. So you have this youngster that's ninth or tenth out of 10 people, you tell them, figure out your way of doing it. And my golly, once they take ownership, people surprise you. And it is amazing what can, might happen, or might happen, or would happen. We have uh, one of my players right now is a very serious. Uh, he's had an operation on his back. It was a something from birth, and he grew too fast. And He's going through a really hardship, and so I, I really try and look every day at his mental outlook on things and how he's hanging in there and how he's uh, counting the pluses in his life and things. But I've given him a lot of videos and stories, and one of the ones that I, I really think is fascinating, I think all of you, if you're not familiar with Glenn Cunningham, I think you should go back as parents and study by Glenn Cunningham, who was the best miler of the first half of the 20th century. Glenn Cunningham, as an eight-year-old, was burnt in a schoolhouse fire. By the way, his older brother, I think was 10 or 11, was killed in the fire. It was just mistakenly, instead of kerosene, gasoline was put on the fire, and it just blew up on him. And uh, young Glenn Cunningham Everything, his, his legs were burnt to a crisp, basically, and they were just completely uh, the worst burns ever. And the doctor wanted to take him off. And as an eight-year-old, um, he, he just did not want his legs to be gone. And his mother believed that she could help. And for a year and a half, the boy was bedridden. And uh Young Glenn Cunningham, she bathed his legs. She took care of the wounds. They fought infection for a year and a half. And by the time he was 11 or 12, I'm talking three years or four years, of basically thinking he's going to be crippled. But as the legs started to heal, so did he. And he learned how to walk a little bit with great pain. And then he figured out he could pull himself up on the back of a cow uh, the tail of a cow and walk around in his Kansas farm and follow the cow. And then he learned that, hey, it doesn't hurt as bad as if I run. And then he started running. And as a 12 or 13-year-old, he became the best runner at his high school. He went on to represent the United States in the Olympics. I think it's 1936. And it's a fantastic story. So I gave my youngster who's going through this, uh, you know, some some hard things right now at this stage in his life. Um, this and, and 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 you never ever. Here's the point. You never tell someone you're you're. This is the pathway for your life. You never tell someone this is how you have to do it. 
Again, you give them the ingredients to work, to work with. You give them the, the ingredients for the recipe, but then you, you might give them some guidance. You might show them other recipes, but you let them do it. That one ingredient of passion, that one ingredient of doing things on your own and having ownership is the thing that we must give to all of our youngsters. So today what I want to do is give you a sort of a heads up on personality types. And I've talked about personality types before, um, but I want to, want to give you just some more insights on personality types. And then I want to finish with a short story on about breakdowns before breakthroughs and how, how suffering and pain and, and breakdowns and hardship and these things, these are the things that separate those that are going somewhere from those that won't take the journey, can't take the journey, or only go as far as they feel like they can go, but it's there to separate the average from the excellent. But hardship usually is the thing that introduces us to ourselves. The um, adversity introduces a person to themselves. And uh, I try to remember that book about In Search of Self. It was by, okay, I'll come back to that. I've got to figure out what that, I'll get the, I'll try to look that up here for you. But basically, we have no control over some of the things that happen to us. We only have control over the reaction or our reaction to things that happen. But starting in this game of tennis where you have to lose so much, there's so much adversity, you have to fight so many odds, it's very, very important that the youngster has ownership. So that's my biggest point. They must have ownership or they will not have the perseverance to finish the journey or to take on the journey. They must have ownership. Now, we have to present the ingredients and show the children how to help themselves. And we have to show young people uh, how to take the journey, but they must have ownership. We could have four children, five children, eight children, and have eight unique ways of doing things. Do you know as a college coach, I have 16 people on my team right now, and I, I wish I could coach 36 because I, I love coaching a lot of people, and I love the symmetry that happens when you have a lot of people competing for the first for everything, and this is what I do well. I can take a 16 or 18 or 20 people and get them all fired up about the same task and the same goal. And then you let them be individuals and you help them each each day with what they're trying to do. But here's what I've always believed, that each, each person on my team is actually one whole team. You know, I, if my number one player, I tell him, look, you've got team members, and they're called your forehand, your backhand, your serve, your fitness, uh, your, your – uh, your knowledge of the game. All of these things are your team members. You've got to figure out how your team members are doing. I mean, how's that old forehand team member? How's that old team member uh, momentum control guy? How's that old team member uh, fitness coming along there with you? How do, you can't let that one weak chain really hurt you. Those are your team members. So I'm coaching, if I have 16 players on my team, I'm coaching 16 different teams. And boy, does it get interesting. And boy, would I like to do some cookie-cutter stuff just to manage it sometime. And sometimes you do with rules, and sometimes you do with some things. But when it comes down to letting them be themselves, I know it is disaster if I think everybody in the world would want to be like me if only they knew how. Now, whoa, 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 let me back up again. <laughs> As a young coach, I used to have the mistake of thinking everybody in the world would want to be like me if only they knew how. Now, isn't that something when we're in leadership positions and we become in leader positions? We all we all want to just fix the other people up, fix up the system, and get them to see things our way because everybody in the world would want to be like me if only they knew how. We're going to teach them how. And boy, oh boy, are we wrong if that's the way we go about things. I want to talk about personality types here. And probably late 
80s, early 90s, I was fortunate enough to get a, a series of psychology tapes by Fred and Florence Littauer. I want to get this right, L-I-T-T-A-U-R. It was called Whole Again, the conference, and you can look it up, Fred and Florence Littauer. But it was the most, it was the best coaching tool I have ever, folks, listen, ever learned. And as uh, I could work myself to death, uh, my first 10 years of coaching or 15 years of coaching, trying to get everybody to be just like me and do it the Chuck Creasy method. Yeah, that's the way to do it. If I could just get them to perfect that. And, boy, doesn't your ego get involved and screwed up and turn around 15 shades of backwards if you try to force that on people. And you'll never get people inspired either, whether it's the USTA way, the Chuck Creasy method, the ITA way, the USPTA way, whatever it might be, if it's going to be an imitation, if you force it on people, they have to have ownership. I think I made that point. So Fred and Florence Holigan conferences. Now, most of us, and most of you out there are familiar with like the Myers-Briggs personality test. And always got me a little bit confused because they had the different letters and different things. These folks put it in real simple way. And I, I want you to draw your old XY axis, the quadrant axis, where you have quadrant one, two, three, and four. Left top is quadrant one. Right top is quadrant two. Right bottom, quadrant three. Right left bottom, quadrant four. I want you to put different a different uh, word in there that describes these four personality types. The first is called a sanguine, S-A-N-G-U-I-N-E. Left top, sanguine. Right top, choleric or choleric, C-H-O-L-E-R-I-C, choleric. Right bottom, melancholic, M-E-L-A-N-C, L-O-C, O-L-I-C, I guess, melancholic, H-O-L-I-C, I think it is. Left bottom, phlegmatic, P-H-L-E-G-M-A-T-I-C. I think these are Greek derivatives or Latin derivatives to describe what they are really about. And uh, this will help us you so much uh, in, in trying to figure out a few things. But I've got to sort of set the table here. So your sanguines, let me tell you what the, they say the needs of a sanguine, the needs of a sanguine. Fun, spontaneity, attention. I'll do it if it's fun and exciting. They even use this little animal when I saw this once. They used an otter, the, the otter, fun-loving, fun, playful, and whatever, whatever. Now, the choleric to the right, quadrant two, the choleric, needs, the needs, not the wants or wishes, the needs in order for the personality to work, productivity, control, leadership. I wanted, I'm sure I could do it better than the person who's in charge if only they'd give me a chance. You know, the person who's just the choleric is the control person. And the, the animal that they used to describe the choleric or the choleric is the lion, the lion, the control freak, the control person. Now, I'm giving you the extremes, and I'll explain this, how this all works together. Right bottom, quadrant three, the melancholic. Everybody in the world would want to be like me if only they knew how. Anything worth doing is worth doing well. Needs are for needs, not wants, but needs are perfection, order, neatness, detail. And finally, the phlegmatic on the left bottom, the phlegmatic, by the way, the melancholic, the animal that was used for the melancholic was the eager beaver, the beaver, the beaver, and Quadrant four, left bottom, phlegmatic. The needs are for peace, non-confrontation. Her people are 
externally, internally motivated, but they must be externally directed. They're the peacekeepers. And they have, guess what, the golden retriever. I guess it could be a lab, too, Labrador retriever, golden retriever. So you see the differences in the personnel. Now, here's the deal. Every year I get my team to take a test. There's 40 questions, and if you want to email me, I can shoot you the test, I think. But you take the test, and I sort of try to guess how my players are going to come out. And I I hit it about 90% of the time. You start to be able to pick out who the person is. Now, I want to make a point. Sometimes people might mask a certain deficiency in something to project something that they want to show the coach or a parent or something. But when it comes down to to fish, cut, and bait, to fish or whatever, fish or cut bait, they re- will be the personality they want. And uh, I'll tell you, I've taken the test, wow, probably 10 times. And, and for me, uh when I am in my normal state and in my creative state, I'm a sanguine. I think I was something out of 40. I was like 23 sanguine. I had like 17 choleric, some phlegmatic, very weak in the melancholic, very weak in the melancholic as far as worrying about, you know, getting the detail right, whether it's a red, orange, or green ball. And you can see how it drives me crazy, that red, orange, and green stuff. And thing I just... I just want to laugh at it because it's a good teaching tool. We'll use it, but don't give me a book and say, oh, after day five, they got to progress here. I just hate paralysis by analysis. I like creativity. And uh, so I know my personality. I'm So you usually have one personality. It's dominant. So if you're a sanguine, the opposite, you'll probably be the melancholic is the opposite. You'll probably be weak there. And if you're choleric, where you're a control person, probably be the weak weakness part will be the phlegmatic and vice versa. Phlegmatics, a strong phlegmatic is weakest in the choleric place where they want to be in charge of stuff. So here's the point. We all have strengths. We all have weaknesses. Any strength taken to an extreme becomes a weakness. We all know that. As a sanguine, I better have some discipline and some order and some note-taking and some detail work around the office. I forget too dang on many things. Guess what? That melancholic, it's my opposite. They better be able to be fun to hang around, and they better be able to uh, not think that everybody in the world would want to be like them if only they knew how. They can't operate. That choleric better with, you know, give up their control freakism now and then to other people or it becomes a weakness. That phlegmatic has to step up sometimes. Here's the point. If you're strongest in, say, the choleric, you're probably second strongest. You probably have some strengths in the adjacent, like that's quadrant two, quadrant three, the melancholic. probably have some of those traits and some of the sanguine traits as well, but you'll probably be weakest in the direct opposite. So I think I've set the table. But let's let's read some of the strengths and weaknesses According to what uh, Fred Florence Littauer, their handout is said here. The sanguine's emotion, that's the fun-loving. They're uh, talkative, uh, good sense of humor. Uh, they have great memory of color. Um, they actually like physical contact uh, with cheerful, bubbling, of curious. They're, they have curiosity. They're usually good on stage in front of people. Wide-eyed instant, they sometimes act like a child for long periods of time. As a parent, here's what you do if you're a sanguine. You make home fun. It's sort of you're you liked by children friends. You turn uh, lemons, make lemonade a lot of times out of them. Uh, but the sanguine at work, volunteers for jobs, thinks up new activities, looks great on sir, looks great on the front end a lot of times, but sometimes might lack the details. All right, let's go to melancholy. Okay, let's go next to the, the quadrant two, the choleric or the choleric. Cholerics, emotions, born leaders, dynamic action. They must correct the wrongs. Sometimes they're unemotional, appear unemotional. They're not easily discouraged. They have a mission. 
They have uh, they exude confidence. As a parent, they establish goals for the family. They motivate family to action. They know the right answers usually. The choleric at work is goal oriented. So as a friend, doesn't have. A <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, this is true. A choleric who's has to be in charge all the time doesn't have a lot of friends sometimes. If they're only a choleric, there we go. Oh, but they'll lead, they excel in emergencies, but you want the choleric around when, when that they need the help. Okay, checkpoint or quadrant three, the melancholy. Okay, deep and thoughtful, analytical. They're shown to be the genius kind of people that are always looking at detail, detail, detail. They're self-sacrificing, conscientious, idealistic. And I think, by the way, you'd want the melancholic to be your heart surgeon, wouldn't you? <laughs> your brain surgeon. As a parent, sets high standards, keeps order in the family, keeps the house clean, keeps it orderly. You're reading here, uh, so you're getting a hang for this, what this is as a friend. You make friends cautiously, content to stay in the background, avoid causing attention to themselves. A lot of time will listen to complaints, seeks the ideal mate situation, friends. So they're always trying to look for perfection. The phlegmatic. And I had a talk this morning with my son about he's naturally phlegmatic, and he's uh, we want him to step up more sort of on his baseball team. He, but he's the ultimate team guy. Everybody says they love my son. They love being around him. But I've said, son, just cause sometimes you just got to go, let's go, let's go, fire up a little bit. But his personality is somewhat phlegmatic here. But low-key personality, calm, cool, and collected under pressure. Yeah, he is. He always gets to hit. Very good pitcher, you know, in baseball. He always gets to hit. He doesn't get ruffled by stuff. All-purpose people, make good, they make good parents because they're understanding. They don't get upset easily. They go with the flow. Their type of aggression or control is usually passive aggressiveness. In other words, they might just say, hey, look, I don't want to do that. So these are the four personality types. Now, how to use these? How to use these? Well, first of all, if your child who's playing tennis, you might ask, well, what, what's their game style is going to be like? Well, you can only imagine for the sanguine, you're, look, it's, first of all, it's a game first. The, the sanguine tries crazy shots, makes big shots, misses easiest shots sometimes. They might be inventing their new shots on the court, on the tour. They have contests off of the court. They sometimes see the birds in the sky. They see people in the stands and, and, uh, Oh, my. Got to give you this. I had a great sanguine uh, playing. Get Owen Casey in Ireland. Owen, if you're listening or if you listen to this show, I still remember the match. Owen is a sanguine choleric, and Owen was playing a kid from a northern school in Corpus Christi, Texas, and he sensed that this kid was an ultra-melancholic. Ultra the kid was a melancholic. That means detail, everything. Well, he noticed, Owen noticed that the kid had to have all three balls before he started the point, and then he would put the ball in his left pocket, and then when he crossed the net, he always had to have, he measured off like where his water was and everything. But he figured out that the kid liked having all three of the balls before he started the point. So guess what, Owen? <laughs> Owen! always started making it a point to take the third ball. And he would put it in his pocket. And the kid would say, I'd like the third ball. I'd like the third ball. And I remember Owen said, no, you know, I like to hold the ball when I play point. He's just messing with the kid. The kid completely fell apart. You know, a sanguine will do this. A sanguine figures out where, what just drives a melancholic crazy. And he, he just, Owen basically just kept the ball. So I still went to this day. That was 1990, I think. So 27 years later, Owen Casey, who's in charge of national tennis there in Dublin, Ireland. Owen Casey, I still remember you holding that third ball and not letting that melancholic kid. 
So that's the same with the choleric. What happens with the choleric? The choleric usually likes big shots. They don't like go to the – it's funny about cholerics. They don't like going to the net that much because they don't like getting passed. They only go to the net if they can be dominant. And their personalities are big on the court, and they a lot of times win by intimidation, I hate to say, but they walk around. They do not have small stature. Their body language is really big. The melancholic, we've already talked about this. They're usually counterpunchers. They're usually grinders off the baseline. They don't like taking a lot of chances. Now, they'll make 100 balls in a row, but they don't like taking a lot of chances. They're usually counterpunchers. They usually have routines to a fault. They'll have routines. The phlegmatics, they are internally motivated, member externally directed. Boy, oh, boy, you know, in the men's tennis, folks, if you have a son that's phlegmatic tennis player and he loves tennis, I have seen the most players become good as phlegmatics. All right, now, look, Nadal, what's Nadal? Nadal is with all his detail work and stuff. He he has all these rituals. Yeah, he's a melancholic, but the guy is some controlled, some phlegmatic, but pretty much he has his routines. But the phlegmatics roll with the punches in men's tennis. They might lose 15 times in a row, and they're still okay. They're still there. You know, in, in women's tennis, it's really funny. It's a little bit different. Women tennis, usually the personalities, they try to fight each other's personality a lot. They try to become the dominant personality on the court. But the, here's, here's the point to all this. And go get Fred and Florence Littower's stuff. The point is let your child be who God made them. That doesn't mean that they won't do some things that are, you know, uh, melancholic might do some sanguine things and stuff. But in the end, they have to be who they are. They have to be who they are in in order to be number one in the world at being that. And, And we have to be as parents. Be who you are. Just because you're more sanguine than the person, the melancholic next door who looks like they're perfect, it doesn't mean you're less of a parent. I guarantee you probably that child next door wishes they were your child sometime and having fun, but at the same time, I bet your child wishes that maybe they had more order in their life too. So we all have strengths. We all have weaknesses. I like to look at things, there's, there's a thing called a but-for. But-for doing that, this would not have happened. Now, we all are very aware, and this is important when we have discerning, loving eyes for our children, our, our uh, uncompromising, unconditional love, the agape love for our children. But we need to look at the but-fors as well. But for me doing that work for five straight weeks on my jump rope, I would not have been fast right now. But for getting up in the morning and having a good I wouldn't have done that. But for making sure my child didn't have, we had that Friday night, uh, pizza night, and movie night that they got excited about. But for not to. We need to look at the good things that that we've done as well. And I would say this. You know, I always say that the tragedy, folks, mom and dad, the tragedy, the real tragedy in doing the right thing is that we never know the consequences had we done the wrong thing. With the college kids, I said, look, you do lots of little things right every day, little by little, inch by inch, inch by inch, yard by yard, but too darn hard. And we can – Talk about that and know about that and remember that all we want. But the point becomes one all, oh, crap, overrules a hundred out of boys sometimes. But all those little, little but-fors, but-for doing that. I tell college boys, the tragedy is, you know, it's like you never know that not driving drunk that night saved your life. You never know that for not going with those bad friends that did take your life in a different direction. You never know but for doing, starting that habit that that uh, messes things up. You never know 
but for the tragedy it would have created. But at the same time, a lot of times we we don't get credit for those attaboys, do we? And uh, all I can tell is your child, your tennis player, your coach, whoever it might be, can never be happy and they can never be all in to somebody else's system. Okay? USTA, that's where you're messing up. You can't be all in if it has to be a pathway. It has to be an expressway, a freeway. You've got to give people freedom. Give them the tools and let them go out and get it. Tell them, go take that hill. Don't tell them how to do every step of the way. This is not a socialist country. This is United States of America. And I just absolutely love and uh, cherish the sovereignty that we have as a country, the sovereignty we have as families, the sovereignty that we all have to be who God made us. We are number one in the world of being ourselves. That is the only way that we will ever go forward and do it passionately. So I appreciate you listening always. I'm thankful in you as you are, our children and our all the players that we have out there and just uh, – Keep playing this game. Keep helping people in front of you. And I'm sorry that I got to go, but time's up. We got so much more to go over next time, next week, next Wednesday on American Tennis. Opinions stated by various contributors to the UR Tennis Network and its programming are not to be considered as endorsed by the UR Tennis Network. Participants are encouraged to use their own discernments and draw their own conclusions. All information, products, and services offered by the UR Tennis Network are for personal use only. The UR Tennis Network does not confirm nor deny the validity or accuracy of information contained within the network. Any products or services provided for should be used solely for entertainment purposes. We emphasize the idea of keeping an open mind and not construing the products, services, or data as factual. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.